people principles for how to apply the Old Testament. And he also unpacks for them how we're to live as part of his kingdom, part of his servants underneath his reign. Jesus takes the Old Testament principles and ups the ante on a lot of them. Like, you've heard it said, don't be angry, but I tell you, if you hate your brother, or he says, you've heard it said not to murder, but I tell you, if you hate your brother, it's like you've killed him in your heart. Or you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look lustfully at someone in your heart, you've done that, uh, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus ups the ante across the board because he wants us to have a sense of, man, I don't know how I could do this. Because when we have our need, we see our need for Jesus. And so Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, exposing these things, but he's also giving us direction for how to live our lives underneath his reign and under his rule. And basically he's helping us create a plan for how to live and order our lives. But as Mike Tyson once said, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And the truth is, a lot of times we, we create this plan, but we're not ready for the adversities we face. And those adversities bring worry to our lives. Look what Jesus says about worry in verse 25. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, which you will eat or drink, or about your clothing, he says. And then he tells him, look around. Look around what you see. Look how God provides. You see, when we worry, we find ourselves preoccupied with our thoughts. You ever been there? We we find ourselves having a turning feeling in our stomach, that, that sinking feeling, that anxiousness. We start feeling antsy. You ever use that word, antsy? Apparently it comes from ants in the pants. And so you're antsy, which means you can't stay still. And worry has a way of doing that to us, doesn't it? Worry knows how to take out laughter. You stop laughing. It makes you tired, but then you can't sleep. This is what anxiousness does to us. But I love what Jesus says. He says, look around, and you're going to see why it is not fruitful for us to worry. He tells us how many of you can add a day or anything to your lifespan by worry. It's a rhetorical question because the obvious answer is none of us. But he tells us to look at two different things, birds and lilies. This is the beauty of nature. It tells us something about God and his provisions. He says there in verse 20, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus, who is a rabbi, is a teacher, uses a very uh, common rabbinic way of teaching. Where you take something lesser and you say, this lesser thing is true, how much more this greater thing? You following? So basically saying, if these lesser birds are taken care of by God, well then what's the greater thing in his illustration? It's us. So if God's taking care of these lesser birds, which we don't even know where they go, they fly away, they come back, but they're eating every day, they're getting full, how much more will he take care of us who are made in his image? You see that lesser to greater parallel. And he says, so why do we worry if we see him taking care of the birds? He says, look around some more. And verse 28 Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Or take your favorite flower. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now you need to know something about King Solomon. Dew was filthy rich. Dew was arrayed better better than anybody in his lifetime and maybe anybody who ever walked in Israel. 
And what Jesus is saying is, imagine his wardrobe. Imagine his swag, if you will. And just know that the lilies of the field are dressed far better than him. Let's go lesser to greater. How much more, if God clothes the lilies, will he clothe you? See, this lesser to greater argument places us as a greater value than some of the minutiae of life. But this is why it's hard for us and why many of us worry. First of all, we don't trust the God who takes care of the sparrows or the lilies. So it's, it's a matter of faith and trusting God. And then second of all, sometimes it's a matter of us not feeling like we're the greater. Maybe different aspects of your life have demeaned you and lowered you, and you look to the lilies and like, am I much greater than the sparrow or the lily? And you need to be reminded today that you are an image bearer, which means when God created you, he made you in his image. And as one who bears his image, you are one who is greater than all other aspects of creation. And if he cares for creation, he will take care of you. So when we wake up in the morning and we consider our day, it's going to reveal, be revealed the way we approach our day with how we trust God and how we view ourselves in God's sight. If we know that God is one who takes care of his creation, and if we know that we're made in his image, then we can step into our 24-hour day knowing he will take care of us. That's a game changer, fam. That's a game changer. It makes all the difference. Worrying is running on that treadmill. I've told you guys about many times. You put in a lot of effort, and yet you get off in the same place you started. Worry will do that to us. Someone once said that worry is like practical atheism. You might say you believe in God by practice, though worrying says you don't. But if you're like me, I'm just like, okay, I feel really bad right now. Thank you. I worry, and my worry shows I don't trust God. Maybe I don't think very well of myself. I'm practically an atheist. Uh, God, like, what do I do here right now? And I love how Jesus then, he takes us the next step further. Because what he tells us is, it's not for us to go from worry to peace, but it's for us to go from worry to God, and God gives us peace. You with me on that? You, you, can't, you can't manufacture peace in the midst of anxiety. I can't do that. I've tried that, all right? I've tried that. I'm at, at laying in my bed at night, and I'm anxious about all kinds of things, saying, God, I just, I'm trying to have peace. Just have peace. And I can't get it until I get God. And once I get God, God gives peace. Now, it doesn't always happen in a moment, but in the trajectory of my life, as I'm having my eyes, I'm seeking him first, he is the giver of peace. And so let's see what he says about that. He says, we lack faith. He says, oh, you of little faith. And in verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that is those who have rejected, who are far from God, essentially, the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But here's the kicker, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Can you say all these things? All these things will be added to you. What are all these things in context? It's all the things. All the things you need. Not necessarily all you want, but what you need. God will take care of you. Now, now here, I just want to do a quick 
excursus right here. Because sometimes I read passages like these, and I struggle when I see poverty in third world countries of people who love Jesus, who are dying of hunger, who don't have clothing. And I'm like, Lord, your word says, seek first. I know they're seeking you. Why are they poor? Why are they hungry? And I don't have the complete answer to these things. But one thing I do know, in many ways, I'm sure God is saying, but I've given means to others across the world, means in excess, not for them to pattern their own lives, to increase their own wardrobe, to get those extra pair of shoes that we don't need while our brothers and sisters are starving and not clothed. So it's as if God's saying, who's to say I'm not providing for them? The only thing is, you're the means of my provision. So we've got to be those who are thinking outside of ourselves. And rather than saying, God, why don't you take care of the hungry person? To say, God, how are you calling me to be your hands and feet for the one who is not clothed, the one who is hungry in our own city, in our own country, and in this world? chew on that for a long time. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. Seek first, not second. Seek first, not third. The first priority of your life is the kingdom of God. This is not a one-off verse, by the way. God, Jesus mourns the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2 because they've left their first love. He tells in Proverbs 3.9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The firsts of your income. Give it back to God, Proverbs says. Colossians 1.18 said that Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. He's the first. The firstborn from the dead. The first to raise that in everything he might be preeminent. What's preeminent? First. And so what Jesus is teaching here is what the Bible teaches is that God is to be First in our lives, we're supposed to seek him as the first and to seek his kingdom. Now, we've got to talk about this idea of kingdom. God has a kingdom. Jesus is our king. But the kingdom of God is not so much a realm as it is God's reign. It's to say that we submit to Jesus, who is our Lord. This past week, we were doing some talking with another group of believers, and they were saying, you know, a lot of times in our generation, we feel like this idea of Jesus' lordship gets lost on us. We like Jesus in various aspects, but we don't talk too much about him being our Lord. But we use it in our, in our church Christianese, don't we? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Dear Lord and Lord and Lord and Lord. What does Lord mean other than he is our master? Which means we are his servants underneath his reign because he is a king. So when we seek first the kingdom of God, we can't separate his kingdom from the king himself. See, many times we want the benefits of the kingdom. We want God's forgiveness. We want his joy. We want his peace. But do we want his lordship? You can't have the kingdom without the king. And so when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, it is a declaration that I am submitting to Jesus in my moment-to-moment existence in life. Seeking first, yes, it's a matter of sequence. First thing in the morning, and we'll talk about this next Sunday, spend time with Jesus. But it's not just a matter of sequence because there's been many a times I seek Jesus first thing in the morning, and then by lunchtime I forgot about him. Seek first the kingdom is a matter of sequence, but it's more so a matter of mindset. 
that Jesus is preeminent at every waking moment of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is, yes, future in some ways, but it is now. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. He preaches the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is our Lord. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. The Bible speaks of this word righteousness sometimes to refer to the fact that Jesus' perfection declared to us when we put our faith in him, and that's absolutely true. When you, when you become a Christian, when Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin and in exchange gives you his righteousness. That's absolutely true in Christ. Amen. But righteousness is also a pursuit. It's a daily pursuing of Jesus so that our life aligns with his will. Holiness is a thing that we're declared, but also a thing that we're to live out. And so Jesus said, I want you to seek first the kingdom and I want you to live for me. I don't want you to linger in sin. I don't want you to, to linger with things that you know dishonor me, but you seem, assume you're good. That's not seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. But that's what God wants for us, to seek his kingdom, his righteousness, and submit to Jesus and his lordship to inform my 24-7. So how then does that help us not worry? How does that help us not worry? Well, first of all, I'd say remember your value. In Christ, you're more valuable than a sparrow, than the lilies. Remember also, secondly, that your Father in heaven will provide for you according to your needs. And then proactively prioritize God and his kingdom. In your worries, seek God and let God give you peace. In our pursuit of God, we we can oftentimes lose heart. It gets hard. Days get difficult. But as I was reflecting on this passage this past week, I couldn't help but think of all the ways that the enemy of our soul wants to shield us from the future. He gives us this kind of nearsightedness that we can't see long-term, both in righteousness and in sin. So seeking first the kingdom, it might feel like, man, God, it's hard to order and reorder my life around you and not around me. But long-term, If I'm able to see past the fog, I see how that's better for me. But if the enemy would help us to only see the present, we see how difficult it is, and then we abandon ship. And the same is true of sin. When we want to seek first the kingdom, but then this temptation is here, and we go after the temptation because we can't see the long-term consequences. See, but when we see, uh, look at God first, and we look at Jesus first, we see the immediate, yeah, things will be hard. Yes, there's battle, but we see the long-term fruit of following him. But then Jesus warns us, but don't get too far ahead of yourself. Notice he said in verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But Jesus is not saying ignore tomorrow. He's just saying don't get wrapped up in it. Tony Evans once said, do you ever think about how the fact that today is the tomorrow you thought about yesterday? You ever thought about that? Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. And so yet we, we've got to take a step back and say, God, I trust you for tomorrow, but I know that what I do today affects it. But I want to trust you because I know you're there. You're in control. You're sovereign. You're sovereign over 4.30 p.m. today. You're, you're sovereign over 9 a.m. tomorrow. You're sovereign, God. And when we see that God is in control, we're able to rest 
in him. A few weeks ago when Erica and I were flying out to Israel, we had to take a plane from O'Hare to New Jersey and from New Jersey to Tel Aviv. So that connecting flight was important. And we had planned to get to the airport six hours early or five hours early uh, to Newark, New Jersey and fly out to Tel Aviv because we were told that not only do we have to go through TSA, but the airline we were using, which is called El Al, it's an Israeli airline, has their own security check, which is very thorough. So we had to go through both TSA and El Al's security, and they said, you need a lot of time to do that. So we planned to get there five hours early, uh, but we're here in Chicago, and what happened to us, what happens a lot of times, our flight was delayed. It was delayed about 45 minutes, no big deal, we were good. We finally board on the plane, so that takes another 20, 25 minutes. And then we sat on the plane for another hour and a half because of mechanical issues. Now we're sweating, and the plane hasn't even left yet. We're texting with people on the other end that I already let us know. We're texting our travel agent who's, who, who hooked up the flights for this trip, and they're like, all right, keep us posted. We're, we're keeping eyes on the ground. We'll, we'll create a plan. Don't worry. But, but we're, we're, we're starting to worry. And then finally, our flight leaves. We get there to, to Newark, New Jersey. And once we're in Newark, uh, we got to wait for our bags now. And it felt like the bags were taking forever. And maybe it wasn't even that long, but because we were so anxious. And we're sitting there, we're sweating it out. And we knew that the, the, the other terminal, would have, we had to take a shuttle train to the next terminal. So, like, we're seeing hours, like, slipping by us right here. But one thing mattered the most to us when we're waiting for our bags, literally, literally sweating, all right, was I texted one of the other leaders on the trip who was at the gate with the security checkpoint. And he was there with our travel agency. And he said, the travel agent just told me, you have, you're good, you have plenty of time, don't worry about it. And guess what we did? We stopped worrying about it. We were able to not worry about it because someone who was already where we needed to be said we were good to go. You follow me? When we look at our lives, when we look at our 24-hour, seven-day rigor, Jesus is telling us, don't worry because I'm already there. So I'm telling you from the other side, you've got nothing to worry about. I got you. I'll take care of you. I got you covered. Now, Jesus doesn't promise life will be easy, but he said, I got you. I'm already there. So don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough issues for itself. So how do I make God my priority? Trusting him as a single person. Will you affirm his lordship over your life and you make Jesus your ultimate joy and delight? Because he is your king. Maybe you're in a blended family right now. Maybe your spouse or you brought children from outside the marriage into the marriage, and you're like, this is super complex. Jesus, how do I seek first your kingdom when I'm dealing with all kinds of situations here? And similarly, Jesus says, set your eyes on me. I got you. I'll take care of you. Put me first. If you're in the workplace, how do you seek first the kingdom? Will you remember that you don't work for your boss ultimately? That you have a Lord. You've got a master, and your reward is in heaven. As a student, how do you seek first the kingdom? Next Friday, I'm, I'm, this upcoming Friday, I'm preaching at Trinity International University's undergraduate chapel. I'm excited to tell the students this very thing. 
as I got through school, one of the main things I kept in my mind, if you're a student, I want you to hear this. Seek first the kingdom. Get in God's word before you get in your homework. Pray before you start writing a paper. Now, I went to Bible college, and my homework was in the Bible, but I knew this was not my devotional time because I had an assignment. But I also knew I needed to spend time with Jesus as a way of saying, God, I'm seeking you first before this assignment. We got to do that. That's how we seek first the kingdom. If you're an artist or you're an athlete and God has endowed you with all kinds of gifts, you seek first the kingdom by using your gifts so that people would see the God who gave them to you and not you, the bearer of the gift only. Seek first the kingdom. Don't seek it second. Seeking first leads to peace. Seeking it second leads to worry. Sometimes it's just that simple. Seeking first says, God, your will be done. Seeking it second forces my will on situations. Seeking first the kingdom sees your value in Christ as greater than the lilies. Seeking the kingdom second places your value in your accomplishments, which is a bottomless pit. You'll never find value. Seeking the kingdom first recognizes that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Seeking him second makes you the captain of your ship. You see, I love, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus gets at our worry to remind us of something that's so important. Seek him first. Order our lives around him. So if you're in a traffic jam today, if your car has stalled, and spiritually you're on the side of the road, I plead with you to seek Jesus first. Stop trying to dig yourself out by your own strength. Stop trying to fix all your problems by your own strength. You cry out to God, say, Lord, help me. Help me trust that you'll take care of me. God, help me remember my value in your sight so I'm not living with shame or guilt because of my failure. God, help me order everything I do around Jesus so I don't live for myself. Because all of us do have a plan until we get punched in the mouth. And every day we're going to get punched in the mouth. But the plan remains. Seek Jesus first. First in sequence, but yes, even more so, first in your mindset. As I was thinking about this, sometimes we make a distinction between what's sacred in our lives and what's the secular in our lives. We, we kind of compartmentalize our faith with our work or our school or our relationships. But seeking first the kingdom tears down all those compartmentalizations and says it's all sacred space. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. God's kingdom is called to bear on every aspect of my life. And so my plead with you, Brooke family, that from the moment you wake, so when your head hits the pillow, you would seek first Jesus. That you would say, Jesus, take priority. And yeah, we, we've got to create new rhythms. We'll talk about those rhythms in the weeks ahead. We, we've, got to, we've got to purge out some, some time wasters, right? We, we've got to see relationships and friendships and work differently. But before we can get to all that, let's get on the right uniform. And let's get ready to play this game. God, for God and for his glory. Let's pray.
God, I know there are some of my church family here who are just very anxious, very worried. And I know the scale of the depth of that is going to differ from one person to the next. But Lord, one thing I'm so thankful for you is that you never tell us to suck it up. You, You validate the fact, okay, you're anxious. But Lord, I'm also thankful that you give us the grace and strength and the means to move beyond. It's not by our own strength. We go from worry to you, O oh God, and trust you for peace. God, your Holy Spirit lives in every child of yours that is here. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus, every Christian here, has your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that they would trust your Spirit to lead them back to Christ. God, I, I don't want to make light of our anxieties. And some of us have real, real matters and we need to seek counseling. And, but God, many of us are, are, are just so filled with worry, God, because we've just put you down the priority scale. And Lord, we repent of that. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for putting the pursuit of fame ahead of you. God, we repent of, of putting, stacking our bank account ahead of you. So we work more hours just to get more money and we see less of you in our lives. Now, we know work isn't bad, but God, if it's our king, we've, we, we've missed the kingdom. God, we, we ask your forgiveness for putting that relationship, that girlfriend that we, we have right now and ahead of you, Lord, and you're telling us what to do with it and we're just we're resisting you. God, we uh, ask for your forgiveness just for the ways that we want, want ourselves to be recognized with our gifts. So, Lord, we just want to seek first your kingdom. Give us bold and courageous faith, risky faith that we know might have some consequences, but the long-term fruit of it is knowing you better. We want that, God. For that one who's here who doesn't know Christ, Lord, I pray that they would long to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness, that they would long for your forgiveness, that even today they would come forward during our prayer time here coming up and come to one of our prayer leaders and say, hey, I want to know Jesus. I want a relationship with him. Teach me how to, how, how to come to him. God, for my brother or sister who is stuck, may they too come forward either here at the altar and bowing down before you to get right with you, or coming to a brother or sister saying, please hold me accountable. Lord, we, we want to look around and see your provisions and trust you who's already there to provide for us. So we do that, God. We love you. We bless you. And we give you our 24-7. In Jesus' name.